Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas, or maybe just comforted knowing they're not alone, that everybody starts somewhere, and everybody, everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing and welcoming Patty Money to the show. Welcome, Patty. Hi, so good to be here. And Patty and I met through a women's leadership group, but that kind of started out as a book club. And so anyway, we've gotten to know each other and uh, she's got a fascinating story and one that crosses paths in the payment processing industry. So, uh, which was kind of fun to learn about. So anyway, so Patty is the CEO of Pinnacle Leadership. And uh, Patty, before we get into what it's like to be the CEO of Pinnacle Leadership, I always like to start with the icebreaker questions. So if you would uh, tell us about where you grew up, you know, what part of the country and a little bit about your family dynamics, you know, you, where you are in the birth order and then how do you think that shaped you as an adult? Yeah, so um, I'm a Southern girl. Uh, most people can figure that out within a few minutes of speaking with me because <laughs> I use y'all all the time. So, um, and, uh, you know, that, that was an important part of kind of who I am and some of the things I love to do. I'm from a family of seven kids, big old clan. Um, and, you know, I'm next to the oldest of seven, but we almost had two families. My first, the first four of us were born within five and a half years of each other. And then there was a six year gap and there's like another little family there. So, um, so the, the first group is like the first four and we're super tight and uh, we're really kind of grew up almost as one, you know, because we were so close in age, there wasn't a big age differential between all of us. Um, but again, I was next to the oldest. I had a great older sister and uh, my, my sister that's a year and a half younger than I am is my best friend today. So again, very tight family. My dad was an entrepreneur um, who went out on his own when he had like six kids, uh, started his own business because kind of thought, I don't know how I'm going to feed all these kids. That was kind of, I think, what he told my mother <laughs> and started his own business. He was an electrical engineer. Um, and he is probably the biggest influence in my life. He was my go-to person, you know, for all career advice. Um, he was a man that was willing to take risk. My mother was a woman who, you know, supported that risk all the time, worrying that we were going to go bankrupt, you know, was trying to feed seven kids. Um, and she actually joined the workforce when, you know, my baby sister, who's 16 years younger than I am, um, was like two years old. My dad decided that he needed to divest of one of the companies that he owned because there was a little bit of a conflict of interest. And so he gave my mother that the stock in that company, I think it was for Christmas. I might have that story wrong, but anyway, he gave her and said, okay, you'll be the president of this. And she was like, that sounds great. And <laughs> she, she started, okay. yeah, she started, she went into the office. She, she really started running the company in a really um, uh, big way. And so she's a tremendous role model for me as well. So again, tight family, strong um, connection. You know, all of my siblings live in Memphis, Tennessee today, with the exception of me. I'm the, I'm the person that, you know, 
doesn't live there. Uh, my, my parents blamed my husband for years, but anyway, um, they, and many of them live within walking distance of each other. Not that they walk over to each other's house all the time, but they're that close. So it's a, it's a, you know, something that I value so much and families that kind of the, the heart of almost everything I do. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like families at the heart, but also then maybe these companies were also at the heart because your dad started two different companies, gives one to the mom. Now, did any of the kids end up working at these companies? Yes, absolutely. So there was actually three companies. Um, oh, in three? The wow. Yeah. And so um, all three of my brothers are still involved in the family business today. So none of the girls, all the rest of my sisters are, I have three brothers and three sisters. They're all in the teaching profession. One of my sisters is a principal for a special needs school. Uh, my other sister was a kindergarten teacher, but she's home now with three boys. And my older sister was a teacher, elementary school teacher as well. So um, the boys are all in business and I'm in business and then three teachers in the family. Yeah. So you broke the mold because you left <laughs> and you well, broke the mold because you're not a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Yeah. So what, uh, when you were a youngster, what were your activities? Was it music or sports or dance or? Yeah, I was pretty awkward. I mean, I was one of those kids that when I was in dance class, the instructor told my parents that they probably didn't need me to be need to be spending that money. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! I know. I used to run into the door frames. I mean, I was a pretty awkward kid. But as I got into high school, I was a little more disciplined, and I was a cheerleader, and I was involved in you know school activities across the board. I was a music. I loved music. I was a singer. Play piano. Um, so spent a lot of time um, in that regard, you know, practicing and, you know, doing singing things and uh, taking lessons and that. Um, uh, and so that was a big part of my of my journey. As a matter of fact, my first time round in college, I actually had two rounds in college, actually three if you got my grad school. Um, but my first time round in college, I was a music major. So because um, so, I was going to, I was going to be uh, on Broadway. I was going to be the next Barbara Streisand. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Dream big. Dream big. Yeah, I, I did. I, I, but again, I got into that and I realized that when you take your, your passion and your fun and you make it a job, it wasn't nearly as much fun. Plus music theory was really hard. So, um, so I decided that was not the path for me. Plus I was very busy majoring and partying at that point in time. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of that detail coming up here. So, um, so are you an introvert or an extrovert or an ambivert? Um, I'm definitely an extrovert, <clears throat> but I also need my downtime. I mean, my husband knows when I've had a crazy day, I'd, I won't even answer my phone. I'm, I just shut it off and don't want to talk to anyone. I normally will go to the bathtub and hang out in uh, the tub until I turn a, into a prune because I need that downtime to recharge. But I am a true extrovert. I love being around people. I, I draw a ton of energy from my interaction with others and just spending time with great people. Yeah, cool. Okay, but it's good you know that about yourself, right? That you need that time to, to recharge and the next day you're back at it. <laughs> you got it, yeah. Okay, um, on the fun meter, scale of one to five, one being a couch potato and five being party, life of the party, where do you put yourself? <laughs> I would never call myself the life of the party, but I do love a good party. Um, 
I, so I would give myself probably a four. I mean, I think my girlfriends would say, you know, anytime somebody has an idea and says, why don't we do this? I'm like, I'm in. Um, my, that's my initial response is like, I'll figure it out. But if there's something fun to go do, I'm going to participate and I'm going to be part of it. Uh, but okay. I don't think of myself as kind of the life of the party. Um, but I love, I love going to a party and uh, enjoy that interaction. You remind me of my older sister. She's a, she calls herself a flaming extrovert. And uh, we did the Myers-Briggs um, Myers uh, personality test together where the company we were working for. And um, one of the questions was when there's a party, what do the extroverts do? And they're all about, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And I'm just an introvert. And what do the introverts do? Well, who's going to go there? Um, you know, who all is going to be there? Why are we having a party? You know, there had to be like reason or purpose, <laughs> but you're like, oh, and she's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in. And then let's work out the details. And I'm like, well, what are the details? Before? <laughs> yeah, I don't even worry about the details. I'm like, they'll all work themselves out. <clears throat> yeah, that's funny. Okay. Okay. So how about on the risk meter, same scale of one to five, but one being low risk and five being high risk taker. Where do you put yourself on taking risks? You know, I give myself a five, although my son, when I've said that before, has laughed at me. Um, I'm not sure what that's about, quite frankly, but um, I, I've always been willing to try new things. Um, I've been willing to kind of put myself out there in ways that, you know, others might not. I, I'm not like I wouldn't bungee jump, but I've done, you know, hang gliding. I've done um, parasailing. I love you know, hiking, biking, all of the outdoor stuff. Um, so again, I, I, I think, and from a work perspective, I've been a real risk taker. Like I've done some things that, you know, we'll talk about later, I'm sure, but I moved my family from Boston to Durango, Colorado, and people are like, what are you doing? Uh, and, you know, I'd already, I've been with the same company for a long time. So that was a huge risk that was a really interesting thing for me to do at that point in the time. In time. Um, I also, you know, think that risk is one, fear of risk is one of the things that really holds us back. So I try and really work on not letting that fear be something that keeps me from doing something. So I think I, I'll give myself a five. Also, uh, I, uh, I love these two questions because we see that how they play out as we hear your story. And I have a feeling you might be higher than a five. <laughs> Based on what I know about you, but I do think it's cute that, you know, your kids sometimes don't see you in the same light or maybe they don't recognize the risk that that you've taken you know it's you know it's kind of interesting they only see you as mom maybe and not as right. all the the other dynamic parts of your personality and your your life so very cool okay well uh patty before we get into how did i get here tell us what it's like what do you do as ceo of pinnacle leadership and then we'll get into the how did i get here yeah, so I'm a one-person show. I'm a consulting um, company. Uh, I semi-retired last May and was really not ready to be out of the business world. So I created this company, and quite frankly, I wasn't sure exactly what it was going to look like. Um, and it's been evolving over time. So I work directly with CEOs, leadership teams, um, specific teams within organizations to help them function really well, to be able to do great work and, and have fun doing it. Because I think life is short. We should, we should be enjoying each other and enjoying the work that we do. So really helping to optimize team performance through, you know, 
great relationships, high trust, being able to engage in conflict in a healthy way. Those are all things that are really part of where I spend time with teams. Um, I've also been doing some consulting with companies that are going through IPOs because I've had the I've had the honor of doing that twice. Um, I really say two and a half times, but twice and uh, have learned a lot of lessons through that process. So I'm working with a couple of companies in that regard, but it's been evolving and it's kind of fun because at this point in time, if something sounds interesting, I can say yes. And if it doesn't sound interesting, I can say, you know, I can't do that right now. I can't take that on. So I'm in that phase of life where I have the opportunity to pick and choose, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and so I'm not sure exactly if I'll end up specializing in any particular area, but right now the eclectic nature of what I do is really exciting for me, kind of feeds my um, innovation and my own entrepreneurial spirit. So I'm, I'm having a good time with it. So that's my day is very different every day. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you get to work with different companies, different leaders, and you're not working that straight eight to five, got to get up and here, you know, one company, one job, one yeah. role, the yeah. one leadership team kind of thing. It's a variety for you. So awesome. I do awesome. love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit then about how did I get here? I mean, when you were back, you talked about in junior high, high school, you were a cheerleader, you're an extrovert. I mean, did you always think I'm going to own my own company one day? Um, you know, did you think you were going to be a consultant or a coach or a, what were you thinking as a young person? Well, you did talk about Barbara Streisand. You were going to be a singer. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, didn't have her talent, though. That's too bad. But, um, you know, originally when I went to college, I was going to be a music therapist. Um, so, but I was majoring in voice and, you know, I sang in a lot of groups and did all that kind of stuff. And I really thought that music would be part of my career in some way, what, which really was not what I was meant to be doing. I literally dropped out of college after two years. My parents said they were no longer going to finance my partying. Um, so, uh, <laughs> oh, straight up, it was partying. It wasn't just your college. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it, I was not being a really great student by a long shot. And so they said, you can come home and go to school at the University of Memphis. Um, and I was like, nah, I don't think I want to do that. So I worked for four years and I landed a job with GE and spent four years with them. Um, really a great experience, but I reached a point where I knew I needed a degree. Yeah. And so well, how did you land a job at GE without a degree? Uh, and what was the job? Was a, I mean, that's a pretty big starting point. Oh my gosh. And I was a baby. I mean, I literally, I was so young because I went to college at 17. Um, you know, I really don't know. It was an admin job to start and I typed a hundred words a minute. So I, I think that came from my piano playing and that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. but, uh, but I, I typed like amazingly fast and it was an admin position and they gave me a typing test and they hired me. So there you go. From there, I moved into a customer service role and then an inside sales role. Um, I was very blessed during that time period. Uh, but eventually, you know, I knew I was a little over my skis and also that I needed a degree. And so I went back to school. And at that point in time, I majored in business because I fell in love with business. I literally said, business is cool. There's a whole lot of stuff here and so many different ways that people can have an impact on business. I fell in love with marketing. I really thought that that was where I would spend my career and my degree is in marketing. I thought I would be an ad exec. 
on New York City streets. You know, I was gonna be on Broadway. So I guess New York was always part of where I thought I was gonna end up. But anyway, uh, that didn't happen either. I married my husband and we ended up moving to Newport News, Virginia. Uh, and there, there was no real advertising. It was a pretty military area. He wasn't military, but uh, he's a biologist. But we, um, we didn't know what I was gonna do. And I just graduated from college at that point in time. So I um, went to work for Kelly Services. And um, I was temping with them. And then they brought me in and said, hey, you interested in being a recruiter for us? I was like, oh, so <laughs> literally. Yeah. What like, is that? I don't know what to do. That was, that was pretty much my response. I was like, I don't know. So they talked to me about it and I said, well, I think that sounds good. And it was the best move of my career. I mean, I just, it, it opened a door for me that, um, that made my later career possible. So first of all, you know, I learned how to hire people. I learned how to manage people. I ended up running the branch. So I got P&L responsibility. I learned how to build a budget and do all of those things at a very early stage in my career um, that really fueled my business background made me a very grounded person in terms of all of the different facets that it takes to run a business. So um, when I made the transition from working with Kelly to being an in-house HR person, um, I was hired by a company that was a startup and it was manufacturing. And I knew the guy that was the new plant manager. So he said, Patty, hey, I'm going over to this new company and we're gonna need a head of HR. Are you interested? I was like, I don't know. You know, once again, Molly. Like, oh. I don't know. I don't know. What does it mean to be the head of HR? <laughs> so I was like, let me let me talk to to. So I met with their CEO. And anyway, I, I made that transition and it was it was a great move, but I had no idea what I was really getting myself into. It was one of those things where you're truly, truly unqualified. Um, I knew how to run a business. I knew how to hire and place people. But you think about a manufacturing environment, like I had people that were welders and machine operators and uh, paint booth, you know, people. So all kinds of OSHA safety um, assembly things that I did not know a whole lot about. But that's where I learned that, you know, we can learn on the job, but we have to be incredibly diligent about understanding what we don't know and we have to dig fast. So, you know, for me, I immersed myself in all of those things. I did everything I possibly could to learn about manufacturing, about the company, about the different jobs that were needed. Um, and I stayed there about five years and then made a move uh, to running HR for a healthcare company. So um, by then I kind of knew a little bit more what I was doing. Thank you, goodness, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, Liv, can I ask you a question here? How did you, you said you immersed yourself in all of these HR um, disciplines, so to speak, for manufacturing? I mean, was there like a certification or an association that helped you with that? Or was it more about learning a more on the job and just learning about manufacturing? It was a couple of things, so or a combination of things, I would say. <clears throat> it was talking with other people that did this function, really reaching out to other people in the community and saying, 
help me understand how you organize this. What did you really need in order to do this well? And, you know, help me understand the roadmap that is, I'm going to need to execute on to be able to support this company in the way that they need to be supported. So it was using those resources and finding a network of people that knew how to do this that would help me along my way. Um, it was working with the plant manager who knew this stuff cold and had worked with great HR previously and who had a lot of faith and trust in me. Um, some of it was some certifications, you know, going online and um, doing some things like that. But again, online learning was not a big deal at that point in time. I mean, yeah, I was going to say this, what there is this 90s that you're? Yes, this was 90s. And so early 90s, there were some certifications that you could do. Most like some of the ones that I did were with the government. So the OSHA certification. Wow. And mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly how I did that, but I felt like that was really critical for me to understand. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, but it was, you know, it was a true learning experience. And also one of the things that I took from that is that um, my values are critical to me that, you know, there are a couple of things that happened through my tenure there that became slightly misaligned with my values um, that led me to make a change, which was, um, which was important for me to recognize that when my values and my work are not aligned, I can't be happy. Ah. So, and it was like, okay, so I need to be very careful about where I go to work to make certain that the values of the organization and the leadership team are aligned. They don't have to be, you know, um, the same, there's a difference between having exactly similar things and having values that are aligned, that fit together in a way that don't create tension and conflict. And that's that's been super important to me as I've made other career moves throughout my life. Yeah, well, and it sounds like you learned that at a very early age. Uh, you know, that so probably even before you were 30, but I'd say is, is are you? No, I was in my 30s. You're so. in your 30s, okay. It's yeah. still pretty early. I mean, that's still a very... Um, you know, formative years in terms of when you're when you're working and how to uh, step out of that and go, you know what, I do need to make a move. So, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because um, every time I've made a move, I was in a position except for one time I was in a position of strength. I was in a position where I didn't need to make a change. I didn't need to do anything different. It was just I knew that it was time. And so making that leap was important for not only just my own personal development, but also for that sense of um, always stepping forward that was important to me. So there's, there's, a, there's a piece there that I never like being um, stuck. Like I don't like doing the same thing all the time. And once I'm doing the same thing or in a maintenance mode, I'm not happy and I need to go. And then the other thing is like, I really need to make certain that I'm loving what I'm doing and I'm loving the people I'm doing it with. So those two things are the things that have been catalysts for change for me. Ah, and again, probably learned over time. Yeah, right? absolutely. As you continue to go through it, okay, I'm getting scratchy again. It's time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe other people reach out to you about new opportunities. You're like, you know what? Maybe I am getting scratchy or maybe I'm getting yes. dull. Yes. So now it's time to move on and- well, and a lot of times, you know, I look at leadership as sometimes it's time for someone else to lead, uh, you know, that they're either ready or the organization just, you know, you can stay there and keep going, but maybe it is time for someone else to lead in that environment. So, 
And I think that's such a great point because we have to make way for other individuals. Mm -hmm. And most of us in today's world are not going to go into a job and stay there for the rest of our lives. It happens every now and then. But that is that is the exception, not the rule today. We're going to have a ton of different experiences and a whole portfolio of work that we're going to be doing throughout our careers. And I think being willing to make those changes is what creates those experiences for us that that help us learn, help us grow, and actually make us better leaders. Yeah. I had a boss once who came in and she said very quickly from the beginning, I'm only going to be here 12 months to 18 months. That's what I do. That's my that's my time frame. And so what I do is I come in and I help put in the right infrastructure, the right people. That's my expertise. And I was like, wow. Because I had been looking at it as, you know, that each role or each promotion was kind of a destination. Yeah. And then, oh, I'm here, I've arrived, and now I'm the vice president or I'm the director. Or yeah. it just felt like, wow, I never really looked at it as a temporary role. Uh, but you know, she had started in finance and accounting and moved into operations, and then she was moving into uh, more of the sales and the marketing. I mean, so it was just getting this you know general background because ultimately she wanted to be general manager and she needed to experience all of those things. And so she was on a path for that where I was just on a path for a promotion, I think. So anyway, it's very interesting when you start thinking of your career differently than, you know, when someone presents it in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. All right. Okay. So you move from manufacturing into healthcare. Yeah. Uh, how did you go from healthcare then into payment processing to Durango? Well, I, I, I'll talk about moving to tech because tech was actually oh, okay. the pivotal moment for me. So we moved to Boston and um, I went to work for Monotype Imaging. Uh, they hired me. They had just spun out as a wholly owned subsidiary and um, of a large manufacturing company, but they were software. And so I helped build the um, people team function there, uh, went through an IPO with them, went through um, lots of global expansion, a lot of, lot of mergers and acquisitions. So truly an exceptional experience for me. And it's because Bob Givens, who was the CEO at the time, you know, took a chance on me. You know, he thought he wanted somebody that had been from a tech environment, but he, he and I met, we really liked each other and thought we could partner well together. And it ended up being, I stayed there for 13 years. Uh, people were always shocked that, you know, why'd you stay there that long? I said, because every year was different. You know, the first Three years were kind of building. Then we went through a leveraged buyout with TA Associates. Then we went public in 2007. And then we did a lot of global expansion. So it was a different job all the time and an amazing company. So, uh, but that's where I, I've got my roots in tech. Um, I got a call from a recruiter, and this is where the recruiter calling at the right time on the right day is always uh, an important thing. He said, and it was the day before Thanksgiving, quite frankly, and I was still at my office and it was after eight o'clock at night and they did not expect me to pick up the phone. But here I pick up the phone. This is when you had a phone on your desk. Um, so and you didn't screen phone. calls, you answered the phone. Yeah. I actually <laughs> answered the phone. Well, I thought, who's calling me at this time of night? So, yeah. Anyway, I picked up the phone and it was a recruiter who was telling me about this crazy job in Durango, Colorado. And um, I was like, well, I'm not really looking, but I was very tired. I'd made like five trips to India that year. I had a whole lot of things going on and I was just tired. And I thought, well, who knows? And the person painted a very exciting story, said, well, at least talk with the CEO. And I was like, 
Well, okay, what could that hurt, right? So anyway, I met with the CEO, Matt Taylor, who was an amazing, amazing CEO, was building a great team. And um, anyway, over several months time period, I mean, literally I talked with them first in November. I didn't start with them until May because it took a long time for me to say I was going to leave Boston and go to Durango, Colorado, which was Mercury Payment Systems, which, which is where our paths crossed a bit in terms of payment processing. So. Um, so yeah, that, that was how I got into that, just by picking up the phone and the recruiter, you know, being at the right place in the right time. Yeah. So how did the recruiter find you? I mean, isn't this before LinkedIn or was there LinkedIn and that you had a, I mean, I mean, it yeah, there was like definitely, yeah, this was 2012, 2013. I, I mean, the process started in 2012 and I joined Mercury in 2013. Um, okay, so, so LinkedIn is yeah. Okay. And I think they were looking for somebody because Mercury was in growth mode and they were looking for someone that had been through an IPO and some things like that. Um, so I, I met that profile. And um, anyway, it ended up being an amazing career move. I mean, I, to this day, love the time period that I spent in Durango, the people that I met, the team, the town, you name it, I loved it. So it was a, it was a great, it was a great move and positioned me for other things later on. So it was awesome. Very cool. So it was one of those, yeah, you picked up the phone, you didn't know it was going to lead to that. No, no. And Here then it ends up being one of the most you know, um, memorable part of your career or favorite yeah. parts of your career. So, yeah, because that's a pretty big shift going from a big city like Boston to Durango. I mean, even just Boston to Denver would be a big shift, yes. let alone something like Durango, which is such a, when in my perception, such a small town in Colorado mm -hmm. and, a, and very much a mountain ski town community, tourism, yeah. the whole deal, very different than uh, what Boston has to offer. It's where my skiing got better. So one of the things that when I turned 50, I decided I was going to learn to downhill ski because um, I said, I'm not going down without a fight, you know? So I learned how to downhill ski then. And when I joined Mercury, I was in my 50s and that's where I got better because I could ski all the time. So yeah. that, was, that, was a, that was an added bonus for being part of that town. <laughs> Well, and that also goes back to your uh, your risk meter, right? Yeah. So your son has to take you know take note of that. That you know at fifty you started to get better at skiing. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that was my first time ever skiing. Was on my fiftieth birthday. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> not just get better, but start then, skiing. It was just like go down the hill for the first time. <laughs> Very cool. So what uh, uh, was it then from Durango in that role that you retired? last May or is there no, some no actually I made um I made a career move that was not my best um so Mercury was actually acquired and um I wasn't quite ready to be done I could have retired but I wasn't quite ready to be done and um I took a job in the Bay Area and it's the it's the only time where I got into a situation where it wasn't good for me. Um, it was a bad fit. I wasn't a great fit with the CEO. I, I, um, I learned you can't work your way out of a bad fit. Uh, for me, I just double down on working. Like I'm just going to work harder and somehow we'll make it work. Um, but, you know, eventually we decided that it was time to part company. And um, and then I had the opportunity to come to Denver and be head of HR for Stenbrook, which was 
an amazing way to end my career in corporate America. We ended up being, we went through an IPO, then we were acquired by Twilio. I stayed on with Twilio as their interim head of HR and then retired last May from corporate world into my own little portfolio life here. Yeah. So. From big company to uh, company of one, yeah. Yes, well, absolutely. it's interesting, but I'm glad you shared that it wasn't a good fit because I'm guessing with your skills and your background, you're pretty good at figuring out fit. I mean, you were in the business of hiring people for fit and in the human resource business, um, regardless of what industry. So for you to then put yourself in a spot where it wasn't a good fit, tell us more about that. I mean, it sounds, you know, what what happened? (laughs) Well, you know, I think my, like how I operate, like I am a very collaborative Uh, leader. I am relational in terms of how I like to get things done. Um, I I like to figure things out too. I'm not, you know, at that stage in my career, I wasn't at a stage where I wanted somebody to be telling me what to do every day. Um, I, I wanted to figure out what needed to be done and execute on that with my team, et cetera. And, you know, it's interesting because the CEO was a great person. I mean, uh, and well-loved, et cetera. It's just our styles were not compatible, right? And so when you figure that out, you know, it's good to just recognize it and say, you know what, we're not a good fit. Or how I like to work, how you like to work, et cetera. Now I should have figured out that out before I took the job. You know, there should have been more diligence on my part. And the next job I took, let me tell you, we dated a long time. <laughs> uh, but I landed with a CEO who ended up being just my, not only an amazing partner, Samir Delakia, um, but a mentor, a person that speaks truth, that is, will tell you your blind spots and work with you on it. So I ended up, it led me to that role. Mm. I would not have landed the role with SendGrid if I had not been in that previous company. Ah, so it just was a necessary step, maybe. Absolutely. Well, a person from my my team had actually, who had left the company, recommended me for this job and introduced me to Samir. So if I hadn't had that chapter in my life where I had met her, then I would have never ended up here, which ended up being, you know, absolutely such an amazing blessing and um, just uh, an amazing journey. I mean, it was a wasn't a super long journey. It was less than four years, but it was a big one. And yeah. um, and we did a lot in a short amount of time. Wow. I, I, I just love these interviews because you get to hear stuff like that, right? That it wasn't a good fit. It probably was uncomfortable. A lot of frustration and probably negative feelings at the end of the day, but then all, all of a sudden it led you to something else. And um, that's what we don't see when we look at people's profiles on LinkedIn, right? (laughs) Do we just see these steps and we think, oh, she just kept moving up and to the right in terms of career advancement and responsibility and everything worked great. And and then you hear, oh no, there is a time. And you thought you vetted it, right? You thought it was a good fit during interviewing. It felt like of a good fit, right? But then you start working together and then that's when things can happen. Well, the other thing too, is I realized how important loving work was because I'd always loved everything I'd done like I'd always been like happy like I didn't mind going to work my husband did not know what to do with me during this time period sorry my dog um he literally he'd never been around me when I was unhappy with work 
And all of a sudden I was a different person too. So, you know, recognizing those things and putting yourself into a place where you're uncomfortable can be good. Like I thought, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll grow and learn or something, or there's uncomfortable that's just not right. And then that's not good or healthy for you as an individual or for your family. And that's when you know it's not good. And yeah, you know, that's, you know, I hadn't thought of that before. You're right. Because you do have those anxious feelings, right? And is it nerves? Is it, um, yeah. Am I taking on a stretch and that's what's making me feel this way? Or is it really, there's something else going on here that is, you know, either it's maybe it's an integrity thing or like you had said early on the values, you know, you were out of your depth, you said in that for one of those first roles, but yet you stuck it out. And, but that was still a good fit for you, right? It was more about, I need to learn something, but I'm with the right people. And this is still a good fit. This was, people are not a good fit. <laughs> I don't need to just learn this. <laughs> and the other thing too, is like good people can be a bad fit. I think a lot of times we kind of start, you know, vilifying people mm. and thinking of them in a certain way. And that's not necessary. You know, it can just be, you're all good people. It's just not the right fit. And you can have the same skill set as another person. And in one environment, you'll be ex- exemplary. You'll be an amazing contributor. In another environment, not so much. So I think really figuring out the context that you can do great work is an important part of everyone's journey. Like what environment am I going to go into and shine? You know, where are my eyes going to light up? You know, um, there was a guy, uh, Ben Zander, who wrote a book a while ago. There was a video, I think it was called The Art of Possibility. And he was talking about leadership and saying, one thing we have to think about as leaders is who am I being that their eyes are not shining? And I loved that because I, I thought about myself and in some environments, man, I'm lit up. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm shining. And in other environments, I'm not. So how do you make certain you put yourself into that work environment where you're going to be lit up? Because that's where you're going to do your best work. Yeah. And you and when you're a leader, it's not only you have to be kind of lit up um, in order to help inspire your people be lit up. But then you have yeah. to worry about or be thinking about, well, what's going on with my people? Some of them are lit up and some of them aren't. So what's going right. on? And, yeah. is it, what, and like, I love that. So who am I being that they're not lit up? Yeah, it works both ways too. Like, am I in an environment where I can't shine and how do I recognize that? And then how do I, as a leader, make certain that I'm helping people light up versus diminishing their light? Yeah. So how do you, uh, how, how do you go about figuring that out? I, I, what came to me was self-awareness and um, like I, I took a lot of personality tests and it really helped me with not just personality tests, but like StrengthsFinder, yeah. Myers-Briggs, yeah. Urgenetics. And, you know, so it starts helping you recognize, you know, how you fit in from a structure perspective and social and, um, you know, analytical and conceptual, all of those components, right? I mean, is, is, is that what you would kind of recommend or do you, do you think that's what helped you or was there some other um, things that you did that really kind of helped you that, with that? Yeah, I think any of those assessments are great. I really do. Because the more we understand about ourselves, none of them, you're not going to agree with everything in every assessment that you take. But I can tell you, there's not a single one that I have taken, and I've taken a lot of them, that I didn't go, (laughs) that I'm like going, oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) 
So you learn different things about yourself and the more self-aware we are, the better we can be as leaders, the better we can be as human beings too. Um, so, so I think those are helpful. I also think really recognizing um, and paying attention to when you're lit up. Like for me, you know, when I'm feeling very energized and excited about the work and I'm just, I'm just dying to dig in and, and do something, that's a good sign. And normally for me, it's when I'm collaborating with someone else where we're, we're taking a team approach and figuring stuff out where there's good debate. Like I need to work with people that are willing to like duke it out that don't hold back, you know, cause I don't mm -hmm. hold back. So, you know, they don't need to either. So I think things like that, recognizing and paying attention to yourself like, where am I feeling the most energy? What environment is bringing that out in me? And being aware of those things and then looking for those environments versus, you know, saying, I don't really know what that environment's going to be like. You know, that's where we have the opportunity, especially in interviewing processes, to, to ask those questions and to really watch other people on the team. Are they lit up? Are they doing work? How do they get work done? Um, and figuring out of how they're getting things done is the way that you work best. Yeah. So a lot you can figure out just by asking the right questions and yeah. being aware of your own stuff. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you talk about energy and I, I remember thinking people would ask, well, what's your strength? And, it, you know, it's almost like, well, where, where does your energy come from, right? Or how, where do you find the most energy or bring the most energy to something that that sometimes can lead you to your strength if you can't pinpoint it. I know I struggle with the strength thing. Um, in terms of core competencies, right? Sometimes you don't even know what a core competency is for yourself, but other people can tell you, um, right. if you really, I, I love that you talk about, if you focus on what gives you energy or where you get energized, what type of work or environments, those are clues, right? And you start paying attention to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Very cool. Well, Patty, I could probably talk to you all day. I know when we met for coffee, I think it was a, ended up being a two hour, a two hour <laughs> coffee. Um, so, but we do need to start wrapping up because I know you need to drop off here. So um, I, there are two questions I like to kind of close with. And one is, tell us if you would, uh, what you think has served you best when you look back on your career? And, you know, was it a strength, a habit, a discipline? What do you think served you best? I think there's a couple of things, but um, it was funny when I retired, they did like this board of like things to thank me and, you know, say all kinds of lovely things, which was great. But there was a consistent theme and it was about my positivity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has served me really well because I do, um, I see the positive in others. Um, I see the possibilities. Like I'm always like, whoa, that's kind of exciting. Um, and I always believe that we can make things better. I, I never feel trapped um, in terms of, well, we can't solve this problem. I always like, oh no, we can, we can, we can, we can solve this. Some people think I'm smoking dope or something, but you know, for the most part, you know, I've had that as a mindset. And I think it's really served me incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny, I, as I've known you now for, gosh, a year, year and a half, I think, um, totally, I, I see that. I see that in our conversations in our book club, but also just in the time we've spent together is the positivity. And the positive, and I would call it positive energy. Uh, it's not a Pollyanna um, 
type thing. I mean, it, it's just a positive energy. So very cool. Oh, good. I'm glad. And again, I do know that things are hard. Um, one of the things that I've had to work on myself is making certain that I let people know that I know it's hard, uh, even yeah. if you think it's solvable. Because sometimes they're like, does she not have a clue what it's going to take <laughs> to get this done? So you have to balance that and let people, you understand that some things are really hard, but it doesn't mean that they're not worth doing or that we can't solve them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the difference between... Uh, that term Pollyanna, I had someone else to refer to it, that they didn't want to be referred to as Pollyanna, but they did want to be referred to as positive. How do we solve this? Let's go right. in with a can do, not a can't attitude. Right. And right. even though it is hard, this is not easy stuff. So, but you're right. You do have to acknowledge that. Yeah. So, and then one last question is uh, any words of wisdom that have really impacted you that you think might impact others or be valuable for others? Um, so I'll, I'll give you two. One, and, and anybody that's worked with me would tell you that I say this stuff all the time. It's kind of embarrassing, you know, <laughs> but one, um, I keep a little plaque on my desk that says, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Um, and I love that because I really do believe that for many of us, mm -hmm. we're afraid to put ourselves out there or to try something new or to, um, or, or we're just afraid that something bad will happen if we fail. And I think embracing the idea that we could fail, but it's still gonna be okay, is huge for all of us. Um, and we need to be kind to ourselves along those lines and realize that failure is important. You know, some of my greatest lessons are from the things, I always tell everybody, my zone of genius is hindsight because I've, I've learned a lot of things. Don't do it that way. <laughs> oh, I love that. My zone of genius is hindsight. <laughs> Yeah, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, we can have it all. We just can't have it all at the same time. So I always think about things in chapters. I even think about that in business. I think like, how do we eat the elephant? You know, it's one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. We take things and there's sequences that actually will serve us really well. And to kind of realize that it doesn't all have to happen at once but that you can make a lot of things happen over the span of your career and the span of your life that is pretty awesome when you look back at it. Yeah, it's interesting. When you do look back, you're just like, wow, I've done some pretty amazing things. At the time when you were going through it, there's that impatience, right? Sometimes I'm not where I want to be exactly yet, but, um, but sometimes you do have to pause and just say, I am where I need to be right now. And this is a great experience and journey, so. Well, um, Patty, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you sharing the the uh, the highs, the lows, but then also the positive nature that you bring. And no. I think it's really going to make a difference for so many people. And you, ne you never know who needed to hear this today, right? That they tap into this and they're like, man, that, that really made a difference for me. So thank you. Thank you for well, sharing. Your I hope that's the case. And I love being part of it. So thank you so much, Kathy. Awesome. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below and then you'll be alerted to other interviews as they're published. And if you have any questions for me or for Patty, you can reach me at lifestorycurator.com, which is where I will post this interview. And then I'll also have um, Patty's social media or, or I guess a way to get a hold of you. Uh, should you want to hire Patty for your company and your coaching, <laughs> you never know where this can lead, right? Um, so on that note, I would say to folks, stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.